podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the moment of the evening every K-State fan enjoys. Settle down and pour a whiskey, crack open a LaCroix. Please put your hands together and make a little noise for your favorite Wildcatters, the handsome Bosco boys. Bosco's boys. Come on, boys. Yeah. All right. Well, Bosco's boys is back, and it's been way too long since we've had the man, the myth, the legend, the grand pooba that is Derek Young from K State Online. Derek, before we dive into what was a very crazy week in the world of K State football recruiting, I just want to ask you, how have you been? How have you been holding up during this uh, fun time that we like to call a global pandemic? And uh, just tell us how, how you're doing. Yeah, personally, I'm doing, you know, fine. Uh, life hasn't been altered too much on my end in particular. I know for others it has. Uh, I am looking forward to getting for everyone to be able to get back to normal sometime in the near future. Yep, I agree with you, and something that probably won't get back to normal anytime soon, that's college football recruiting. But like I said earlier, it was one of the crazier weeks, at least in this recruiting cycle for K-State. First, I want to start off with the good. Um, Omar Daniels out of Georgia, he's a defensive back committed to the Cats uh, over this past week. What can you tell us about a, his recruitment and what he might be bringing to the Wildcats, uh, you know, when life resumes and he's part of the 2021 class. Yeah, his recruitment really was just just starting to take off. Uh, if you look to kind of the timeline of how everything unfolded for him, uh, both of his Power 5 offers, K-State included, didn't come until May. Um, you know, probably at least half of his offers were in, were from the month of May as well. So uh, he kind of his stock kind of took off, and he and his ascent really took off as a prospect fairly recently. Um, and and it, it kind of was a bit of a rush for him. But in, instead of letting that unfold and kind of seeing you know what else could end up being available to him, he decided to you know wrap his recruitment up sight unseen and, and commit to Kansas State, which was definitely a surprise of sorts. Um, and the credit probably goes to Brian Anderson for that. He recruits the state of Georgia for the Wildcats. And I think his relationship and um, his comfort and familiarity and the trust that he's built with the coaching staff at Daniel High School probably well, not probably. It definitely went a long way in grabbing this commitment fight and scene and, and grabbing it really quickly as well. Uh, Daniels didn't wasn't offered by K-State until May 4th, so it did not take long, I think, nine days for him to make the call to Chris Kleiman and company and commit to K-State, which we thought would have been the, their sixth pledge, but ends up we're back to five at this point. But, yeah, that's a big win for Brian Anderson and in terms of, you know, how he's going to be as a player, he, he is kind of uh, that bigger, longer defensive back that they've 
been, you know, coveting since they took over in Manhattan. Um, you know, not as big as Justin Gardner. But, you know, the Juco they grabbed in the last cycle, who's like six foot two, six foot three. Omar's probably maxes out at about six foot for probably even longer than that. Uh, not super fast, but fast enough. And someone with pretty good clothing speed, someone that really explodes out of his back pedal. So uh, he is going to be a corner, not a safety, but he's really good at keeping everything uh, in front of him and really explodes downhill. Yeah, I have two kind of follow-ups for that. First off, another defensive back out of Georgia after grabbing the two from the Atlanta area last year. Uh, and now picking up Daniels, is Georgia a place that they're going to just start filling, you know, the entire cornerback and secondary room from, or has it just kind of worked out that way that they've been able to find some prospects they like and gotten them uh, to pledge their commitment to the Cats? I just think it's kind of worked out that way. Obviously, Georgia's going to be a pretty good state when it comes to skill positions. Uh, it's just a fruitful state in general. Uh, you look at some of the best quarterbacks in college football right now, a lot of them are coming from the state of Georgia as well. Some of the best quarterbacks are coming from the state of Georgia. Just a good area to recruit because per capita has got a ton of prospects. Just in total has a ton of prospects, and you can grab just about anything you'd like to, like to locate or identify there. So I think that's just going to be a state, a region, call it what you want. The K-State probably wants to harvest every year, uh, and uh, it'll be – one of those, I call it auxiliary uh, recruiting area for K-State that they can kind of fall back on on a consistent basis. Uh, they'll, they'll probably, you know, end up with half their, their class year in and year out from the state of Kansas and the state of Texas. And then the rest of the half will be uh, the, those auxiliary areas where they're still, you know, pick their spots and cherry pick away. And that'll be Georgia, maybe the Carolinas, the state of Florida, like they did with Joshua Youngblood. Uh, maybe still the state of California too. And then uh, the upper Midwest region, when they're going to try to dig into, you know, like the state of Iowa, Nebraska, the Dakotas, Minnesota, places like that, Chicago. Yep. And then the last one, and you brought it up, they've really been targeting the taller defensive backs. You, you mentioned that, uh, you know, anywhere between six foot, six foot three. Is that now going to become the first barrier at entry for K-State and say, hey, if you're not at least in the ballpark of six foot, maybe you're going to really have to blow us away with your athleticism? Or is it just kind of, hey, this is our preference and we've been able to find guys who are willing to commit? Yeah, if you're not six foot, you know, or, or you know, extremely long as the defensive back or, or really at any position. They value length at nearly every position on the football field this staff does. And if you're not that, then you're going to have to be pretty special to grab a spot, you know, on their roster. That's one of the prerequisites that they're going to search for. It's going to be important for them. Uh, there, there was a defensive back, you know, at camp last June from Oklahoma. And he was pretty good. He was a, he was a special kind of athlete. But he was probably only five foot eight, five foot nine, and they chose to go a different direction. And I think that that's probably why he just didn't have that prerequisite length that they think is required at the Big 12 level. Now he ended up committing to Oklahoma State, so that'll be an interesting case study uh, down the road. Uh, and, and his name kind of escapes me at this point, anyways. But yeah, I to answer the question, that is a prerequisite, and you got to be all worldly for them to take you otherwise.
And then, again, I, I said there's only two, but just one more. Brian Anderson now has had quite a few wins down south. Uh, is it about time that K-State fans start referencing him and talking about him when they talk about the good recruiters? I think that Van Malone probably is getting the most shine these days and, you know, Colin Klein with some of his work out in Colorado. But now I think, you know, at least as I'm doing, you know, internal inventory of what I think about the recruiting staff, I think Brian Anderson now needs to start getting a little bit more praise and publicity for the work he's been doing. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think if you're just kind of attacking it from the angle of, you know, who were the best recruiters in, on the staff, and it'll probably vary cycle by cycle because if you, you, you go down through what they landed in the class of 2020 and kind of seeing who's responsible for or, or who, who really, you know, knocked it out of the park on this particular recruit and kind of go down that that entire class roster and you start to see some of the names that kind of popped up and they're like, that really were good at at least identifying or, you know, landed some of their heavy hitters in that particular cycle. And, and, and Van Malone certainly comes up when it comes to the class of 2020, as, as did Joe Klanderman, I feel like. Uh, he was another one, was Malone and Klanderman. And then when you look at some of the maybe under the radar finds in that class that I kind of liked and then a couple of names that jump out would be Courtney Messingham and Connor Riley in terms of the work that they were able to provide. Now, if you look at 2021, uh, it's early, but when it comes to, you know, evaluation and landing, and we're only looking at five commits right now, it is clear that the, if you also consider some of the other targets that they're in on it, it's clear that the, the two coaches probably having the most success, at least at at this point in time would be Colin Klein and Brian Anderson. I think those two would be the ones that I would point to in the 2021 cycle. Now that that's going to transform um, probably only 25% of the way there through this, this class or at least 20%. So a lot can change and everyone, you know, gets their wins and, and we won't know who really landed the best players until, you know, they're done with college, but from the naked eye, and that's all we have to, to go off right now in projections. Uh, I really liked in, on the recruiting phase of what Malone and Klanerman did in 2020 with maybe some honorable mentions there to Messingham and Riley. I mean, in 2021 right now, I think the kudos goes to Klein and Anderson so far. Yep, and we'll move on from the good stuff. We have to get to the bad, which, you know, you and I talked. I think the message boards almost thrive on the bad more than they do the good. Uh, but the first one, Deshaun Page, it was the first true – decommitment coach climbing scene uh you know he only lasted a week as the juco linebacker he even put into his announcement that hey his recruitment isn't over um was this anything more than hey this is going to be a unique cycle with the lack of visits with how volatile things are around the world and the sport of college football right now and it just kind of is what it is with that guy or was there is there anything deeper to the quick commitment and decommitment of Deshaun Page? Uh, probably not anything deeper. I mean, he was pretty open and honest about, you know, what the status was and how it was going to go once he committed. And I put that disclaimer at the bottom of his tweet saying that he would remain open to any and all schools. I tend to think that the, the writing was kind of on the wall at that point already. Uh, I thought that they would still have their opportunities to win. 
still uh, and keep plugging away, keep building those relationships and see if they could hold on to them. I didn't foresee it to kind of unravel as quickly as it did. Uh, I don't know this for a fact, but the suspicious part of me would wonder if uh, some of the, if they didn't sour on each other just a little bit just from that tweet since it did unravel so quickly. So that's more of the skeptical part of me. I don't know if that's what necessarily happened, but it wouldn't surprise me. And then, uh, but in general, uh, I don't think that it was, you know, some deeper meaning. I think it was more of a product of the volatility of this cycle. And then the next one that I think, I think everyone, for better or worse, probably anticipated it might be a long shot to hold on the page. But the one that at least resulted in the bigger meltdown in the uh, internet corner of K-State fans was Noah Boltikoff. Uh, he's down in Rose Hill, Kansas. He's an offensive lineman. Uh, he decommitted about two weeks after a TCU offer came in. Uh, I don't think it's any uh, secret that he has a massive connection to TCU growing up down in Texas before moving up to Kansas and being at a high school program uh, that features guys who played at TCU. Uh, so was it as simple as, hey, there was nothing K-State was going to be able to do to keep him away from his dream school? Or is there a learning that the staff could take away from uh, how that transpired? I don't think there's anything to take away from that. It's a little bit of uh, sour luck, I guess you could say. Uh, in terms of his connections and familiarity to TCU and just the timing of it wasn't wasn't the best or, or all that optimal, of course, in, in funky to me at least a little bit that you would still, you know, have that binding and unwavering, I guess, adulation for a program that still waited as long as they did to offer when there was one already married to him for several months. So that probably has to really bite and sniff at the coaches that, that it, those kinds of circumstances are at play here, but uh, not terribly surprising because of those connections. But at the same time, I think because even after receiving that offer from TCU, um, Boltzkoff saying some of the, the things that they, they needed or wanted or felt like was good to hear. So I think they were, I think, because he was saying the right things in terms of possibly sticking with K-State, that this probably comes as a surprise to some, at least um, because it seems like there was still a chance where they could keep him away from Fort Worth, but it turns out that it wasn't. So, I, yeah, I don't think that there's anything they can take away from it. I think it's just one of those things that they weren't going to be able to prevent, uh, regardless of the circumstance or, or what, what they did after he grabbed that offer from TCU. I think it's just a little unfortunate because they had already invested the time that they did. Um, but at the same time, I think they also felt like because of that, they had a chance to hang on to him, and it just didn't work out that way. Yeah, and then that drew the ire from a lot of folks online about the recruiting acumen of offensive line coach Connor Riley. Um, I think you and your and Matt and everyone at Case Online has done a great job of demonstrating that hey, it's more regions than positions. But that being said, do you think that uh, some of the mob going after Coach Riley? Do you think some of that's warranted? Do you think it's just hey, everyone's looking for a scapegoat, or do you think it's somewhere in between? Well, probably somewhere in between. I mean, 
I think that we have not seen the best of what Connor Riley can do on the recruiting trail yet, for better or worse. I, I don't know why that is. I think he is a good recruiter. I'm not sure why some of the results haven't followed. I also think that still some of the players that he is still fighting are going to be good players um, because even though he's maybe missing for you know, missing that first or second swing, his other swings are still going to be players that really have a positive effect and strong contribution to the program. He may have grabbed Carver Willis not until the summer or Whit Mitchum, you know, really at the last hour of the early signing period. Those two were, you know, I guess late by today's standards, but I think those two are still going to be players that are pretty impactful in Manhattan. So I think at some point we're going to see him score on his first couple swings. We haven't been there, and I'm not sure why. So I, I do understand those frustrations. But I still think he is a quality recruiter, and I expect the worm to turn in terms of who he prioritizes, you know, quicker. Uh, I think that worm will turn down the road. It hasn't happened yet, so uh, I, I guess I, I sense or I understand the uneasiness of some people would have in regards to that. But I'm not panicked on Connor Riley. I think he's a really good recruiter, and I think the results will come. And then you, we mentioned earlier, K-State's currently sitting on five commits. And while we are still just sitting in May with as crazy as recruiting can be, what positions or what kind of cluster type of athletes do you think they're really prioritizing right now uh, as we sit here in the middle of May uh, to get signed up for the 2021 class? And is there any position that uh, you think that, hey, maybe we've already seen the last of in this class. Yeah, sitting at five commitments right now, but if you look back this time last year, I think they also had five commitments. So if not for the deep commitments of this past week, they would have more commits right now than they did last year. Now, if they end the bus, they get that. But at the same time, if you compare those five commitments, they have two kids signed right now, or not signed, but committed right now that are ranked higher than anyone they signed in the last cycle. So they're still a step ahead. I I think some of the angst is, is people are having uh, maybe a little uneasiness. I, I get it. It's probably natural. But I think if you sit back, take you know take the temperature of the room a little bit more and uh, have a little bit better perspective, you can understand that while the improvement might not be as drastic or as dramatic as, as you might anticipate or that you might have wanted to see that it is still taking place, there are 2020 classes better than their 2019 finish. Their 2021 class has already started up until now is better than the 2020 class. The improvement is there. It's gradual, not dramatic. So if that's the complaint, I guess that's right. But it's still, we're still improving. And I've tried to make that point too and, and to apply that perspective and kind of indicate that to others. I know, I know it's hard to grasp, but that is the case. Uh, going forward in terms of positional recruiting, they still have uh, a work to do at a lot of spots, really. I mean, you have five commits right now. You get a quarterback. You got a running back, you got a corner, you got a safety, and you got a linebacker. And so they're probably done at quarterback, or they're definitely done at quarterback. They're going to probably be done at running back. Uh, linebacker, they're going to need to add more around Devontae Pritchard. Uh, a junior college linebacker is probably going to be necessary, or some kind of transfer linebacker, because they're going to have to replace the loss of three senior linebackers. They have three senior linebackers this upcoming season. So linebacker, they're going to have to replenish a little bit. Corner, they have Daniels. Uh, they could probably get away with only one more. They may be able to take two more if it's the right two. Uh, safety, they'll probably 
I, you know, if Dorian Stevens may project his safety, he may not. That's probably the spot where I would project him to, but it's not a lock. So probably going to need, you know, someone else there too. Another addition. Defensive line, every other position they haven't touched yet, but they're going to have to address address those. Defensive line is probably not going to address that as much in this class because they went heavy on it in the prior class. Uh, offensive line, uh, you still want to get your couple tackles to keep kind of replenishing that because they won't, they didn't inherit that many at all. Um, it'll be interesting if they go JUCO. They'll have two new starting offensive tackles this season, so I tend to think JUCO offensive tackle isn't necessarily a need because of that, but they've already offered one, so you never know, and they could slide someone inside in the future. So it just depends. Of, in terms of the offensive line, who they decide to start, really. Uh, they get the tight end help now. Uh, they'll still want to get a tight end, and they'll probably be a little bit picky on who they want. Um, they can probably star chase a little bit there. Uh, and we're going to have to add more than one receiver. They could afford to only have one receiver in the last class. 2021 will have to be multiple. And then the last thing, at least when it comes to – recruiting I'll, I'll follow up or end on a couple just football questions um there has been a lot of talk by you and then by some others regionally about while maybe the the commitments haven't come but how well and how innovative k-state has been during this quarantine period um what if any light can you shine on that and do you think it eventually just comes down to this staff as we saw chris Kleiman was awarded by the you know, College Football Writers Association for being one of, I don't even know the wording, but one of the most visual and open coaches this past season. Does it just come down to, hey, this staff understands uh, what they need to be doing, or is there anything that really uh, popped to make them so innovative or, you know, in the news during this time? I just think that they wanted, they knew that they had to adapt and, and they did it well. They just didn't – they really couldn't afford to. But some schools, they can kind of rest on their laurels and still recruit off their brand right now. They don't have to get super creative and, you know, consider, you know, the implications of not getting someone. Like, I don't think Ohio State is – you know, has to go through the same lengths that Kansas State does in this time because they can probably still say, you know, we're in the playoff, we have this, we have that. Kansas State – you know, Virginia, Rutgers, I use those schools because I've heard how they're innovative. They've been as well, KU even. Uh, they don't have some of those luxuries to recruit off of, so that they have to work a little harder, uh, so to speak, and come up with different ideas in terms of, you know, grabbing the attention of a prospect. And they did that during, you know, this recruiting shutdown. They would you know, I hear stories about how they would ever – they would send a couple coaches to this game, every, you know, a couple nights a week. Uh, there would just be two or three of them out there, or, or maybe one or two of them out there with Taylor Bratt. They'd do, you know, a virtual tour of the stadium or the facilities. And then the next week they would do, you know, the Jardine apartments. And then the next week they do, you know, the, the academic building, you know, or place on campus that that student prospective student athlete you know might frequent when if he when he gets to Manhattan if he chooses to go to K-State so I and it was like a, some kind of four-step process I don't have all the details but they were pretty thorough in making sure virtually 
in live, live and virtual, you know, when they get on FaceTime or Zoom, you know, using that phone, using those iPads, whatever they use, and getting around it, making sure that every, you know, one of their top targets is not only developing relationships with their coaches, but is also, you know, becoming familiar or actually seeing what's on campus because they can't visit right now. So they basically took the visit to those kids. And not every school felt compelled to do that, from my understanding. And in case state was one of the few that did that, and they did that on a regular basis, on a weekly basis with, you know, several of their targets. Uh, and I think at some point that'll pay off. And, and maybe that pays off when recruiting opens back up and you see, a, you know, a horde of kids just want to visit Manhattan because they got that taste from, you know, those virtual calls. So I wonder what the landscape could look like for case state when it opens up like that. And then I think think to one of the conversations I have with someone that's connected to kind of recruiting, um, when I hear someone coming from a different school to help K-State recruiting, that they have been somewhere else and they see Taylor Brad or, or these coaches recruit the way that they typically have. He says, you guys do that? I mean, because they had never done it at their prior school. He's like, yeah, we have to do this. You know, these are the things that we have to do to kind of, I don't know if I want to say survive or be effective on the recruiting trail. You know, these coaches come from elsewhere because they didn't have to do it, do those types of things to be successful. So it just kind of paints a picture of where you do have to be willing to take that extra step at K-State in terms of recruiting. Definitely. And then one more quick recruiting question because I'm a liar and every time I say only one more, I add something Not on sure. there. I'm pathological. What can I say? Uh, what is uh, – you know, one or two or even three names. You can share however many. You don't have to give anything premium away. But if K-State fans who aren't over at K-State Online don't get to read all your good stuff, first off, I don't know why they wouldn't. It's the best, you know, $9 I spend every month. But who are some names that decision day might be coming? It doesn't necessarily have to mean that it's going to be K-State, but what's a recruiter or two that fans should be – waiting to hear that maybe it'll be K-State or at least they're in the hunt for? Uh, Braden Woods, a dude's lineman from Colorado. It's kind of, you know, been squarely in the crosshairs, K-State or Louisville. Maybe that's a decision in the near future. Maybe it isn't. It's really tough to gauge when some of these kids are going to make that decision ultimately. But K-State will be in on that one. They'll probably be in on another Colorado kid and, and Bo Frailer, who they're recruiting as a linebacker. He's from Colorado Springs. Uh, the competition here is probably Iowa State. Um, just offered off the tackle injury line gang from North Dakota. Have to think that they would probably sit in a promising spot for him as it sits now. Uh, someone that's also stock is starting to spike a little bit. Uh, as of now, K-State's one power five offer. I don't know if it will ultimately always be that way, but with the connections there, you have to think that they're in a pretty good uh, position. Um, trying to think, they're still in a to be Chiocoli, the event out of, you know, Kansas City, Missouri side. I think Mizzou's going to be tough to beat, but that one's still there. And I don't know how quickly he'll want to make a decision. And then I'll just, as a pretty good tease, we have good stuff on the board on him. But I think, you know, one really highly ranked kid that we're going to have a chance with that we're probably going to be covering for, you know, a handful of more months. But, K-State is serious about, and I think he is serious about K-State with four-star tight end Eric Olson. I think it's probably time to consider that as a, even though a challenge and quite the challenge that it's going to be 
uh, a premier target that I think is more than possible for K-State. Would he be at least, as things currently stand, the best shot at adding another four-star to this class? Yeah, you know, I'm just trying to go through it here. I'm thinking he probably is. There's guys that are a little bit close to the four-star plateau uh, platform that are they kind of hover in between the three and four-star area. But uh, someone that's already a four-star, I think that's the one that's probably the most attainable um, and maybe maybe the only one now that I think about it. But I think some of those rankings will change and some guys will get a four-star. But, yeah, he is the one that's probably the most relevant in that, in, in that ranking system. Awesome. So we'll end it up with just some K-State football news and just overall national college football news. Uh, as this is being released on Monday, uh, what would it be? The Monday, the 18th, K-State's coaching staff will all be back together inside Veneer. Uh, they talked yeah. about that they'll still do social distancing and all that type of stuff. Um, I'm sure they'll probably also, you know, have symptoms and maybe even have a test before they come into the building. Um, that's first a great step. Um, but have you heard at all when players might be able to come back to town and start doing in-person workouts. And then on top of that, I believe the SEC is having all their athletes come back on June 1st or a vote was happened to allow schools to let them come back on June 1st. Um, have you heard of any other conferences making full rulings like that or are most conferences leaving it up completely to the discretion of the schools? Yeah, I don't know how, you know, conferences are doing that it's probably going to be on a conference by conference basis and I don't know if any have determined I I haven't heard whether or not the Big 12 is going to vote on that type of thing or if it's up to the school's discretion uh what I can say is that I don't think that it is set in stone uh on how they on when they will start approaching that in terms of the players I do think that there is some level of hope and maybe it's past the 50% threshold. I, I wouldn't know what, how to, you know, numerate that, uh, that what that level of hope is, but that they will be start um, bringing kids back in the middle of June, bringing back some of the football team in the middle of June. I've heard June 15th, who knows what that looks like. Uh, I heard it would be kind of a slow, and gradual thing, um, June 15th, and, and maybe it's so spread out to, to make sure you're not rushing into it or bringing a bunch back at once that it could go a month long. That, that's how gradual it was. It would be heard, things of that nature, and that it could be, uh, and that during that time, the workouts would still even be in small groups. So they're not going to jump head first into this they're going to it's going to be a, a slow build up which is probably you know debatable I mean it's, it seems like it's a pretty touchy subject on how to, how to do this but it, uh, a slow build up at least probably appeases everyone you know, at least you're doing it for one and two at least you're not going so fast that that you 
maybe miss a step and something happens where you know there's some outrage. So I, I agree with the slow buildup, regardless of what everyone's thoughts are on the matter. So I think that's what we'll see is the slow buildup of that nature. So maybe a month-long process of bringing players back. I don't know what every school will do, and I don't know that's what Kansas State will do. I just think that there's a hope that it may, may look like that. Um, there's also something to consider, and this just isn't Kansas State, but you know some states still have that, uh, I think, policy in place now where if, if you're from another state and you arrive, that you have to do the automatic 14-day quarantine. So I think there's considerations there as well because I think some of the players might be required to do a 14-day quarantine once they arrive, at least the out-of-state players. Definitely. And then the final thing that I'll kind of get out of here, the final question, and I mean it this time, uh, every every single school on K-State's schedule besides uh, actually all three non-con teams have there. So all the big 12 schools have made a statement saying that they will have students back in the fall. I have not seen anything for North Dakota, but I did see something the other day that Vanderbilt specifically said no decision's been made yet in Buffalo, which is in up in New York, granted away from the epicenter in New York City, but they have not, they've said that they are still waiting to see if students will come back in the fall. You have any insight or any idea if between Gene Taylor and Chris Kleiman, if they're starting to explore uh, you know, last-second replacements for the non-con schedule. Because I would imagine that if, you know, college football at least happens, you know, uh, somewhat resembling what we've uh, grown accustomed to, you want all 12 games, and all three of those would be home games um, if they are allowing fans and all the revenue tied up in that, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so do you know if they're looking for possible – uh, substitutes if those three teams are not playing football in the fall or at least when it's scheduled to be played. Yeah, I don't know how, what college football is going to look like. I am fairly confident that we'll get some form of college football, but I'm not confident at all of what of what we're going to be presented with when it comes to that product. And, and I don't know if Kansas State or Gene Taylor – I have no information that suggests that they're looking for replacements for those non-conference teams. Nothing to suggest, no, no evidence of any kind to suggest that they're not either. Um, most schools do their due diligence, so maybe they've looked into it here or there, but that'd be speculation on my part. I don't have any evidence to that or to the contrary. I just know that there's a lot of questions that still need to be answered. I think we'll get football in some form, but they're going to have to figure out a lot of things between now and then. Nope, I totally agree with you. So that's all I have. Um, let everyone know what to expect over at KSO over the next uh, couple weeks. You've been pumping out stuff like crazy. I mean, you're a madman. I, I've never been as productive as you in my entire life as you have the last couple weeks. So my hat tip right. to you. So what can folks expect over the next two weeks over at KSO? Well, I thank you for that. It's a little bit of a hyperbole, but I'll take it anyway. Uh, probably not going to be a whole lot of differentiation, to be honest. I'm not going to like sell something that's a lie, of course. But, I mean, something breaks, we'll have it, just like anything else. Like with the commitment last week, we were the first you know, ones on it and kind of revealed uh, of what was about to take place. And, and we'll always do that. And I imagine it's 
I don't think I'm a crazy man, of course. So if I had to place a pretty good bet, I would say that we'll see some recruiting news in the next month or two. It probably heats up a little bit just because there's going to be, you know, prospects having to make decisions for better or worse because they don't know what the visit process is going to look like. And, and so they're not going to want to go into the fall not having something squared away, most likely, at least in, in many cases. So I think Kansas State will be the beneficiary of that some level. I think Lamar Daniels is probably evidence to that, that it's going to turn turn in that way. So we'll always have the breaking recruiting information, but we'll probably, we're going to, I mean, it's the one thing to follow right now. So if you're a fan of K-State or fan of sports or both, hopefully both, uh, recruiting is what to follow right now. So I think we're, we're the best place for that. Definitely, and I appreciate you coming on and all the great work you're doing. Um, Boneheads, I hope everyone's staying safe. The next show you guys hear, believe it or not, May only has four Mondays this this year. So the next one's going to be our May Q&A. So get your questions in using hashtag AskBosco. Then get over to uh, K-State Online. If you're not a subscriber, sign up today. And then uh, bug Derek with all uh, your questions over there as well. So. Uh, Derek, thank you for coming on. Um, if Grant was here, he would say meet him at the Cathead. If Flando was here, he would say tell your friends. And uh, I think those are all of our catchphrases. <laughs> That's it. Yep, I'm good. <laughs> yep, have a good one, man. Sports Social Podcast Network.